Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The prison guard shut the iron door behind me. Howdy folks and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. I'm out here in the barn this morning recording and I can hear the birds chirping. You might hear them. We've got a number of species of birds that like to build nests up in the rafters of the barn and occasionally I'll come out here and see the cat has climbed somehow up into the rafters and will be walking tiptoe along the top of a 2x8 or a 2x10 sneaking up trying to catch those birds. Anyway, I'm out here this morning and I want to first of all tell you about my weekend. Um, <laughs> It was, it was it was one of those weekends where there was there was good and bad things about it and I'll tell you this real quickly then I'll get on to the need for speed uh, but we uh, the band I play in that I'm playing upright bass in the pluck tones we have played this was our third third year playing the same gig we did a Kentucky Derby party on Saturday. You know, there's um, there's some folks in town who, you know, think that a Kentucky Derby is a good excuse as any for a party. So they have a, have a party and the ladies all wear, you know, big hats and, you know, lots of white shoes and, you know, derbies and stuff like that. And they drink mint juleps and we play and... Of course, we need to stop during the race, and everybody crowds around the big screen TV and watches the Kentucky Derby while we take a break. And then when the race is over, we go back to playing. So, you know, typically, I think the race only lasts, what, five minutes? Well, I mean, you might figure 15 minutes would get it in, you know, from the time they stick them in the box till the time they, you know, put the, put the big roses, the wreath on the winner. And uh, so we stand around and take a break while while the race actually happens. So this was our third year of doing this Kentucky Derby party. And the first thing that happened, and it it has a little something to do with the need for speed, is that each year we play at the at this person's house, they have a a raised deck, a platform. Um, near you know between the pool and the house and there's grills out there and they set up a bar and have bartenders and stuff like that so the last two years we've played on that deck it's an uncovered deck and the weather's been beautiful but this year there were storm clouds a brewing and you know all of every everybody i saw when i first arrived was you know checking uh, weather underground and looking at the weather radar and stuff like that trying to determine is it going to rain or is it not you know can we put the band out here set the pa up and or do we have to come up with a plan b inside the house well the decision was made that we'll just set up and if it starts raining we'll we'll tear it down and move it so we did so we set up the first time and I'm talking about, we had no more than plugged in the last cable in the first drop. Drop. Big fat drops of rain started coming down. 
slowly. Luckily, we were way on the edge of the first bit. So we started tearing down and it started raining. So we had to really speed it up, move around to the front of the house. And they were going to put us in a front room, which we ended up having a great space and it, it worked out fine. But now we're dodging the rain to get the gear back out of the van, back into the house. And my bass, my bass fiddle took a trip to the deck the first time and then back to where I had to park. Got a little rain on the cover, put it in there, and then had to move it back in the house a second time. Just dodging the rain. We finally get set up and start. And the party's just going great. And well, pretty soon it's time for the Kentucky Derby. So you boys take a break, just stand around, have a beer, just make yourselves at home. And when the race is over, then y'all start back up. So we just standing around and the race is going on. I'm not watching the race. It's in another room. I, I hear what's going on. I hear the cheering and the, you know, the uh, rooting for their favorite horse and all that stuff. So, um... Anyway, this went on and on and on. I, I was thinking last year, this was pretty quick, but this year it's taken forever. Well, as you probably know, the, the uh, winner of the Kentucky Derby was contested by a, a couple of other jockeys, uh, protested. And ultimately that horse had his victory taken away. I do believe it was the first time in Kentucky Derby history that they've overturned the results. And I watched that race the following day. And, uh, I don't know. I'm sort of on the side that they should have left things as they stood because the best horse did not win, not, you know, not officially, but man, that was a good looking horse. And that horse got a little wide, but that track was muddy and, Anyway, I'm no horse racing expert, but I figure, you know, anybody that thinks all those horses are supposed to run within their little, their little track and there's never any bumping and, you know, jockeying for a position, I think is dreaming. I mean, think about when they all come out of the gates, they're all spread across and then they bunch up and they're, they're all, you know, switching lanes. So who knows? But that was a good horse. Um, so anyway, we, we get an extra long break at the gig uh, because of this unofficial, you know, and the protests and, you know, all this hullabaloo on, you know, which I didn't even know was going on at, until the following day. So finally, after a while, they say, okay, you guys start back up. So we start playing again. We hit about three notes and boom. A clap of thunder and the power goes out and we never missed a beat we just kept on playing which brings up one of my favorite um, attributes of bluegrass music and that is you don't have to be plugged in we just kept on playing and the hostess started bringing out candles because by then I think when it where we were, it was getting pretty dark. It wasn't fully dark, but with the heavy cloud cover, it was pretty dark in that house. So out came some candles and lanterns and the party continued. The big screen TV went off 
And uh, when we were packing up to leave, several hours later, we still had no power. So we played the entire gig acoustically, and everybody had a great time. And me personally, I've never heard the band sound better because the guys kind of turned towards each other so they could hear each other better since they didn't have monitors. And I'm parked right there in the middle. And I'm just like, this is the best sound I've ever heard. Plus, there wasn't a competing television. And a lot of folks, you know, packed up and went home when the power went out. So it was a little quieter. Anyway, had a great time at the old Kentucky Derby party. And uh, got drenched. I got absolutely drenched loading my bass into my car. I waited for a break in the action. And as soon as I took off, I had to go about a hundred yards and had the bass in a bag. But man, by the time I got to that car, it started up again and I was just soaked. So I had to come home and then take the bass out of the bag and spread the bag out to dry and wipe down the bass, make sure everything was cool. And, uh, Anyway, that's sometimes the way it goes. But I definitely had the need for speed then to try to bolt to the car, toting an upright bass. Anyway, so let's get on to the, the real topic here, the need for speed. I got an email from a fellow named Charlie. And I'm just going to read it to you. I think it's, a, it's one of those type of listener questions that could possibly apply to you. And I replied to him, but I thought my reply, you know, could benefit someone else. So let me tell you what he says. Here's Charlie's words. Hi, Brad. I've been playing the bass upright for a number of years. I purchased your course on bluegrass bass. And I have a question regarding playing the bass fast. And he's got fast in all caps. The two songs that come to mind are Dear Old Dixie and Rawhide. The band I'm with want to play them around 160 beats per minute. And let me insert right here. That is fast. That's real fast. That's, that's, I've heard a few instances of people going faster than that, but that's pretty much topped out max bluegrass speed. If you get up in that range, if you get up in the 140s and 150s, you're flying. 160 is near insanity. And I have uh, uh, documented some 170s and even 180. But anyway, back to his original email. He says, the only technique I know to increase speed is to not play hard. Play softer with little meat on the strings. That is what I do, but I'm hanging on for dear life. I would like to know what technique you would suggest or use. Thanks, Charlie. So he's already come up with one good idea there, and that's don't play too hard. Um, and in my response, I don't really mention anything about that because he's already hit on one thing that if especially if you are plugged in amplified or have a microphone 
if you can play softer, which means not putting so much physical effort into the plucking of the string, and by the way, all this applies to applying a pick to a string as well. If you don't have to play so hard, if you can play quieter, you can play faster, usually. It sort of depends on, you know, how, how fully advanced your technique is. But a lot of people equate, or, or let me put it this way. A lot of my students, and I've seen it in myself too, um, naturally play softer when they go slower and they play louder when they play faster. It's almost an uncontrollable um, law of nature or something that as you go faster, you tend to start hitting the strings harder or in the case of bass, pulling the strings farther more with more amplitude. But if you can resist that, that urge, that sort of programmed in urge, to be louder when you go faster. If you can be fast and relatively quiet, you can play faster easier because there's less muscle effort being asked of your body. So it's tough to do, but, but he's right about that. So then let's get to my response to him. And I was just very quickly off the top of my head of trying to respond to his email and I, and I do respond to emails and I, I like getting them. So here's my response back to him and I may elaborate somewhat on what I said. Charlie, I feel your pain. I do three things. Number one, eliminate all notes other than the root and the five. I'm simplifying. No walking. So what I'm really saying there in number one is that I'm playing as few notes as possible at those ultra high speeds. If you're barely hanging on, let's say you're playing quarter notes on the bass at 160 beats a minute and you're barely hanging on, there's no point in throwing in some eighth notes you know, those eighth note walk-ups and stuff. If you can't play the quarter notes, if you're struggling to play those, what's the point of playing more notes? Uh, so that was my first suggestion. And he's probably already doing that. But the, you know, the very essence of a, of a bluegrass bass line is root five, root five, or root five and a high five, you know, it's either, that's the essence of it, patterns of those. So don't put anything extra in. That's the first thing. And, and that would apply to guitar players. I've seen a many a good guitar player who's spent a lot of time playing rock and blues and country and never been in that, that insane asylum of the 150 beat per minute range bluegrass jam session and i've seen guitar players some of them masterful players just absolutely tripping over their own feet and falling flat on their face because they didn't do what i'm suggesting there in item number one 
as if they're just putting in too much stuff. So if you're a bluegrass guitar player, the same thing applies. If it's getting really fast and you're struggling, if you're not struggling, you, you put in put in as much as you want to. Tony Rice, great example of someone who's fully capable of doing that. Um, mere mortals, uh, when you reach your upper speed limit and things begin to degra degrade, you need to eliminate notes. So pick strokes. So if, if you were playing, you know, a medium tempo bouncy tune at about a hundred beats a minute, one of them flat and scruggsy type things, and you get, you have plenty of time to go boom, chicka, boom, chicka, boom, a chicka, boom, a chicka on the guitar, you know, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, you know, you get what I'm saying? I think I got my down ups wrong just then, but you can insert upstrokes easier on a guitar at a medium tempo. Certainly you can insert them like crazy on slow tunes, but when it starts speeding up, you better start focusing much like the bass player on just the downstrokes. Just get the bass strum. Down, 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 down. And I have witnessed guitar players, and I'm sure I've done it in a few jams. I, I don't jam that much on guitar, so I'm having trouble thinking of an instance of it. But I have seen guitar players nearly eliminating the strum of the bass strum pattern bass strum bass strum bass you know that's your typical rudimentary bluegrass bass guitar pattern and the strum starts getting smaller instead of bass note and a big wide strum followed by a little tick of an upstroke the upstroke goes away and the big wide strum becomes narrower and narrower it becomes like on the middle of the strings like you're hitting the sixth string, and then you may hit four and five, and that's your strum. Because you're trying to limit the the total, you know, the the mileage that your hand has to cover. And what I've seen with these with these good guitar players and some not good ones struggling like crazy is they try to take what the type of guitar strumming motion where they're going you know, three inches wide on each side of the strings and they're strumming away on an Eagles tune or, you know, something like that in four, four at a much slower tempo, big wide strums. And then the tempo gets bumped up and they're just like, it looks like a weed eater attacking the strings and it sounds like a weed eater attacking the strings. So that item one is try to pair what you're playing down just to the bare bones minimum and you know the tempo the notes are coming at you so fast that i also think it's it's um if you insert too many notes you're just creating more notes than the human brain can even process you're probably having trouble processing them to produce them well the listener is also going to have trouble you know, digesting these just super fast, crazy streams of notes. So if you eliminate, let's say you're playing at 160 and you've cut out all your upstrokes. 
Well, that's the same as having all the upstrokes in at 80 beats a minute. So, you know, the, anyway, so that's number one, eliminate all other notes other than the root and the, and the five on the bass. On guitar, you know, ditch your upstrokes. Uh, ditch, you, you might even want to ditch some of those hammer-ons and, and pull-offs and just get real simple and maybe even narrow down your the strum side of your stroke and i have even seen guitar players a time or two practically eliminate the strum they're just playing the bass now they're sort of making a little motion at the strum but it's not really there because thank goodness the mandolin is doing it for them and if you're a mandolin player same thing eliminate Eliminate, 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 and just try to be popping those offbeat chops without a lot of extra fancy extraneous stuff. No little ghosting on the bass note, you know, none of that. You don't have time for it. Ditch the upstrokes and just lock in on that. Much like, I mean, if you were a snare drummer and you had to play at 160 beats a minute in 2-4 time like this, um, you ain't gonna be playing much except the kick and the snare. So you got to think, simplify. And number two, I was, this is back to my email reply to Charlie. I try to cut down on extraneous right hand motion. I try to get more compact, you might say. Because there are times, sometimes when I'm playing bass on a medium tempo tune that if I look down at my right arm, I may look like I'm doing a lot of other things other than just thump, thump in a very tight motion. Sometimes I'm moving my arm around almost like the way a conductor moves. You know, I may pull my hand way away from the vase and, you know, that body motion kind of is rhythmic too, even though it's not producing sound, but all that stuff eliminates the, the faster you go, the more you just got to lay in there and just get close, not tight. I didn't say tight. Just get close and just play small. You can still play with force, but try to eliminate extraneous right hand motion. And as I was talking about the guitar, that's true there. That's when I was saying, you know, narrow the width of that, take that big wide strum and make it a narrow strum or an even narrower strum. Okay. Number three in my reply to Charlie, and hopefully this is some of some assistance to you guys too and gals. Uh, three, I try to actually play ahead of the beat. Otherwise, I end up late. So let me talk about that a minute. And Charlie, this is for you too, because I was just very quickly just rattling off these ideas and I didn't explain much. So when I get done, I'm going to send Charlie an email saying, Hey, Charlie, remember that email you sent me? I, uh, I fleshed it out even further in this podcast and I'll send him a link to it. So I said, I try to actually play ahead of the beat. Otherwise I end up late. And when it's getting, I'm talking when it's getting like crazy fast, you always feel like you're, you're chasing them. So, I mean, the solution for that is to get ahead, be ahead. And probably the end result I always feel like the end result is that I'm now in time. 
So you're trying to compensate. It's like if the car is going to the left, you pull it to the right, you know. So I don't actually want to push the speed beyond where it is. In other words, if my base beat is locked in, let's say they're cruising at 155 beats a minute and it's cruising. They're playing train 45 or something. If I feel good, like I'm on it, I don't push. But if I feel like they're running away from me, I push. It's like that horse at the back of the pack. You know, when they come around that last turn and it's the home stretch and they feel like that all those horses are running away from them. Well, that's the time to push. Push. You don't want to push when, when you're not being left in the dirt. You know, if you feel like you're locked in pretty good. Don't push. Just keep on maintaining. But if, if you feel like you're being left in the dirt, you know, put the whip to that horse a little bit and push. And that means where you think the beat is, aim early. Shoot early. Because, and you're probably just going to be barely on time. Because they're, they're moving on. They're leaving you in the dirt, remember? So it's more of a mental process of think early and you'll probably be much closer in time. And then the fourth thing that I mentioned to him before I closed out my email reply to him was, and this is particularly talking about bass player, bass playing. I said, and one more, I try to drill into the sound of the mandolin chop and little else. In other words, I try to turn off my ears to, you know, the banjo break and the, all the strummy guitar and going on and whatever is going on, fiddle and dobro, and everybody's like doing their thing. There is one other player in that group that I can and should be paying attention to, and that's the mandolin player. Hopefully the mandolin player is doing the same thing I'm doing in that hopefully the mandolin player is trying to sense the bass notes. That mandolin bass team, if they're cooking, the band will be more cooking, you know. And if they're not, it's because they're not listening to each other. If you have a mandolin player who is listening to the banjo player just fly and take his crazy break or a fiddle player just, you know, going nuts playing at super high speed if the mandolin player is watching that fiddle player and i'm not saying you shouldn't watch them but you better have one ear on that bass and you'll be helping propel that crazy fiddle player crazy banjo player so when i said i try to you know drill into the mandolin chop i mean to say presuming the mandolin is putting it in there at just, you know, in the, just the right way. Cause if, if you've got a funky mandolin player who just isn't, you know, he's hanging on for dear life or playing a whole bunch of extraneous strummy, whatever, uh, you know, it might not, that might be one of the people you need to put on your filter and filter out and maybe focus in on, you know, the guitar player's bass note assuming the guitar player even is playing a bass note and in bluegrass i sure hope they are but 
see an awful lot of bluegrass guitar where they don't uh they just play whatever they feel like <laughs> and that's just the nature of the beast but so that that was my response and so he replied back um thanks for responding i think your suggestions will help i've been struggling love your podcast thanks charlie well in between the time that he wrote me the first email and the the time his little thank you thanks for responding came back i thought of a couple more and so like usual i you know run long and talk a subject to death so i, I wrote him back real quick again i said i thought of two more two more ways that two more techniques that might help you you know not struggle to play those super fast tunes oh and i just thought of another let me just mention it before i go into those one is know the song you know if you don't know the song it's just going to be doubly difficult to play it at high speed if you're having to think about now what's that chord and uh let's see after i hit the b then i go to a c and then it's like what mm, 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 mm. you're not going to play it fast if you don't know it a simple example is fox on the run fox on the run everybody plays it and only half the people really 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 know the chords just have them down cold i'll tell you another example it comes up at jam sessions once in a while usually when a non-bluegrasser has thought oh this is fun i'll get my guitar and and maybe their first time in a jam session and out comes country roads <laughs> john denver and oh it's just pretty easy and everybody's just playing the song and then comes the bridge and you just watch people falling flat on their face how many people do not know the chords to the bridge so let's just assume that was some high speed bluegrass instrumental and let's say you're the bass player or the mandolin player or whatever if you know the song cold i mean you got it you can play it in your sleep you're going to have an easier time playing it super fast because again like there's no time for extraneous notes there's no time for extraneous thinking so okay so here are the two additional ideas that i sent to charlie number one i tend to play i'm speaking of my bass pattern at super fast high speed tunes I tend to play the high root low five pattern. Let me stop right there for you non-bass players. That basic bass pattern is root five, root five, first note and fifth note of the scale of the major chord you're on major. Like, so if you're on a G major, it's the first note of the G major scale and the fifth note of the G major scale. And what I'm saying to him here is, I'm going to play the, the root as the high note of that pattern, and the, the fifth will be the low note. And that's the way a bass is tuned. If you walk up to a bass, even if you're not a bass player, and somebody says, here, would you hold this for a minute while I go get me another beer? And you're holding his bass, and you're looking at it, and you reach over, and you play the highest string on the bass. Boom, that's a G. If you play the next string towards you, the second string, that's a D. 
So that's for the key of G, that's a high root and a low five. So I'm telling him, I switched to high root low five, and why do I do that? Continuing in my answer to him, I tell him why I do that. I tend to play the high root low five patterns since after playing the first note of each pair, my right hand is already on the next string. So if you picture holding a bass in your hand and reaching your right hand out to play the first string, which will be the one farthest away from you, when you pull towards you and play that string, your index finger ends up on the second string. So it's already there, prepared to play the second note, presuming the second note of the pattern is on that string. So I, I want to have those two note patterns where both of them I'm pulling towards me. So I'm just popping off of one and I'm already on the next one and I just continue pulling. And so you could just pull across both of them. Boom, boom. You could go really fast like that. You do have to reset. You got to get back to the, to the other side of that pair, but you begin to think of the two notes as a pair and you're just bump, 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 bump. And it almost turns the two note pattern into two motions. You know, there's the pull, pull, and the reset. Rather than pull, if I put a high five on that pattern, I've got to go to a higher string away from me. So let's say I was playing on a, let's say a D chord, and I play the second string, D, boom. And I want to put the the A note, the high five, that's away from me. So after I've played that first note, I'm sitting there resting on the third string, but my next note is on the first string. So that there's a lot more movement. So what I, what I was telling him was, is if you use those very simplified patterns, and by the way, these patterns, these exact patterns I'm talking about are the 12 bass note patterns that appear in the Bluegrass Bass Instruction Course and also appear in the print version, the classic edition of Jam Session Survival. That's, the, that's those patterns I'm talking about. The basic two note movable patterns. But it's the, the key to that thing is the fact that your finger after playing one note is already on the next note. It's already on the next string where that note lives. So that's, that's another solution. If you're playing high fives, you're going to have a harder time doing that super fast. Okay. Number two, this brings up kind of an important point. You can ask if they could slow down a tad. And I put in parentheses, it helps if you have, and I, I actually made a typo in this. It helps if you have someone else who is struggling to basically second your motion. Boy, I really did mess up his email. Good thing I'm restating this now, Charlie. Um, the gist of it is, uh, speaking up alone, you may, you may just be thought of, you may be totally ignored. Let's say you're the bass player and there are five other musicians in this and they're all playing like way faster than you can keep up. They may just wish you'd go away, you know, 
And for you to pipe up and go, hey, fellas, could you play that about 10 beats a minute slower? Their immediate thought is going to be, we need a new bass player. <laughs> but if you have some support, some allies in this, and this is especially true if it's a regular jam or it is a jam or a band. If it's a band, you know, these things require serious consideration. If you walk up to a jam session at a festival, you know, you probably don't want to ask them, hey, could you play that a little slower? Because, you know, they don't want to play it slower. So you have to be careful with this, asking them maybe to slow down. But in a band situation, you know, every band member has a voice at rehearsals. And your opinion is as valuable as anybody else's. You could, for example, make the case. Look, I love the way you're playing that thing at 175 beats a minute. But I don't know if you pay any attention to me over here. You'll see that I'm late. I'm missing notes. I'm, I am not sounding my best. But when you play it at 155, you sound really good still and really fast. And I'm nailing everything. You know, you're probably busy over there playing your banjo and don't even notice what I'm doing here, but I'm falling apart over here, guys. You know, those sorts of discussions will, should take place at rehearsals. You're not just somebody's bass playing machine, you know, that they program to play. You're a person too. And the whole band will sound better if everyone is playing at their best. So sometimes you got to make a compromise. That's the point I'm making here. Maybe that, you know, that, uh, that fiddle player who just has no upper speed limit and just wants to prove to the world how amazing he or she is and is just on a tear. Maybe they don't want to slow down, but maybe the overall band would sound better if they did. So that, I just brought that up and I mentioned that, you know, I've used this technique in a band situation as a mandolin player because they're you know i i played for many years with cedar hill and this occurred a few times in pony express as well and both of those bands had phenomenal banjo players who could play very fast jim duck adkins in cedar hill he's still out there doing it and david ellis playing banjo in pony express these guys just didn't seem to have upper speed limits, but my mandolin playing always did. There was a point where I topped out and I began to turn to uh, tricks and techniques and workarounds and simplifications and things like this to try to play my solos at those same speeds. And one of them, quite honestly, I will tell you the truth. There were some songs in Cedar Hill that we played so ridiculously fast that I really enjoyed playing them at those speeds. I simply didn't take a solo. Great Balls of Fire was a good example of that. We played it in B and we burned it. And uh, for many years in the band, I used to sing lead on it. Uh, and I really liked doing the song. But I didn't want to take a break. No way. So we just put two banjo breaks in it. And then I think later on, at, at times we'd have fiddle players and stuff. That The arrangement changed, but there was never a mandolin solo in that song. I just 
couldn't go from singing lead to burning it up in B at 170 beats a minute. It just, it just wasn't going to happen for me. I could do it at 140, but by the time we would hit uh, great balls of fire, usually it was getting towards the end of the night and the band was loose and the crowd was into it. And many times that was a show closer. So we just didn't do it. I just didn't do it. And that was cool. I mean, think about guitar players, how it's funny how guitar players, they always seem to have the opt out button. You know, the guitar, he can take a break if he wants to, but he doesn't have to. I mean, I'm sure there are some band situations, like if David Grisman hired you to be his guitar player, he's, you probably have to take solos. You can't beg off. But most bluegrass ensembles that I've seen, when the guitar player takes a break, it's because, well, he feels like he could play a pretty good break on this song, so he does. But on these other ones, meh. He doesn't really feel like he could do so good on that one, so he just, he opts out, and everybody's cool with that. But that rule doesn't apply to mandolin players, typically, or fiddle players, or dobro players. You know, you're just expected, you know, everybody else can take a break on it. I don't see why you can't, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but anyway, that's that's one possibility, is to negotiate the just the lack of a break on your part at all. Now, in rhythm, you don't have that option. But one of the things that we did on some, there were some tunes, and one in particular I, that I remember doing this exact technique, actually two songs I could think of, that it was a cure for this. We've got some players who can play it at this speed, and another person wants to go faster. And... In Cedar Hill, it was the song Dear Old Dixie. So Dear Old Dixie, we would start out at a, a pretty quick tempo, but it wasn't burning. So the arrangement went, the banjo kicked it off, just a real straight, nice, solid, fast tempo, but not, not you know, overdrive. And then we sang it. We sang a verse, and then I took a mandolin solo, and I was perfectly capable at that tempo of playing a pretty good solo. And then as the song progressed through the, the other solos, the arrangement, the band would come to a halt. Boom. And the banjo player would tear into it one more time at light speed. And everybody else is just playing rhythm it would blow the audiences away because there's been a dynamic change, a speed change. People wear out if you do the same thing over and over. If you start the song super fast, you got to maintain that all the way to the end and it's, it's tiresome to the audience. But if you start, let's say quick, and then at the end, carefully and all together, burn it up one time at the end. I mean, it's like a giant crescendo in an orchestra. I'll tell you another guy that is very good at this exact same technique, and this is probably where the duck learned it, and that is little Roy Lewis. He is renowned for doing that. I mean, if you're going to play a tune to little Roy, you just almost expect it. Maybe he does it too many, too often. But he knows it's a crowd-pleasing effect. 
because they're already marveling at how fast and how good you're playing. And then you come around on that final time, just one time through it, and really throw that thing down into fifth gear and floor it, you know. You leave them breathless. So that's a technique, too, is that you might negotiate a, a slower tempo and then work up an arrangement where you do have a burner at the end, you know. We did the same exact thing in Pony Express with a song, Train 45. We would play it at a cruising speed. And we were coming out of Sitting on Top of the World in B. It was a medley of those two tunes. So we went directly from Sitting on Top of the World, where I played, everybody played a solo there. And we're probably cruising along at 120 beats a minute. Through Sitting on Top of the World, and then Train 45 starts. And I would tell David, save your thunder, save your thunder. Don't get in, don't, don't get out of the gate too fast. Or like those horses, you're going to burn out before the home stretch. Just play at the same speed we were at. So then we all, the whole band, all takes their solos. We're training 45. We might be a little faster than we were on sitting on top of the world. And then, you know, just like with that dear old Dixie, when we'd come around to that final break, David would punch it. I mean, he would punch it. And all we're having to do is play rhythm. And he is just burning it, playing it as fast as he could go. And I noticed that in the band, all the rest of us, we're not free. You know, we don't, we're not trying to hold back anything. We're going to push him. And we would push him and push him and push him. And on his, the idea basically was to see if we could get him to melt down. I mean, because it's a lot easier to play a mandolin chop fast than it is to play train 45 on the banjo at that same speed. And we would push, 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 push. And he'd, he'd be panting by the end. And the crowd would go crazy. So that's a possibility. You can work tempo changes into your arrangements. All right. So now back to uh, the email exchanges. So Charlie writes back again and says, Great suggestions. Didn't think about always using the low five. Great idea. And then I responded one more time. Let's see if I can find it. Do, 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 do. Scrolling around. I don't like the way the mail program on, on my iPod actually works. Ah, I can't find it. Oh, well. I probably said it already in this podcast, so who knows. Maybe I'll look at my scent uh, <laughs> well, I can't find it. It probably wasn't that good anyway. The old sour grapes attitude. So anyway, the last thing I'll tell you is that um, with regards to speed, I am a big believer that, and, and when I say speed, I mean tempo. I am a huge believer that the best tempo for the song for any particular group of people at any particular time is the one at which that group plays that song the best. Because if you got a few players in your group who are having trouble at a certain speed, it's not going to sound as good. You know, some of you may sound good, but the rest won't. Now, on the other side of the coin, 
it's it can be very easy to sit around in that comfort zone where I want to play everything where it's easy, nice and easy, boys. You know, that kind of attitude. And that is not in the nature of bluegrass. So don't let yourself get too comfortable. You know, if you're sandbagging, deliberately kicking things off a little slow, maybe just because you haven't been practicing like you should, or maybe your arthritis is acting up, or, you know, if you're sandbagging and just dragging things deliberately down, you know, that you may be actually killing the feeling of the song. So, you know, push yourself a little bit. Bluegrass is a quick music. All right, enough about that. I will, um, now that I have unlimited time, I, I feel like, wow, I could just, I could keep rapping for another hour, but I've got other things I have to do. When I got home from the gig on Saturday, um, by Sunday, my vehicle had, uh, well, it's toast. I'm pretty convinced that the engine is toast. I spent all day yesterday under the hood, tinkering around with things that I thought might be the cause, but I, I really think it's just the 250,000 miles on that engine. And so such is life. Um, right now I'm down to my wife and I are sharing the car right now. So I'm a little tied down and unfortunately, and here's the bluegrass related thing. I had planned to go to a bluegrass festival this weekend, which I have now canceled my plans to do. Anyway, that's how real life happens. Uh, last thing I want to tell everybody is I want to remind you of my email list. I've only mentioned it once or twice on the podcast. And the reason I mention it is it's a great way to get a discount on my products. And I'm telling you about this one, it has already expired, but I was looking at, you know, the results of it. I sent out a 40% off discount coupon code in the latest email. And by the way, I send exactly one email per month. That's it. I'm not going to be spamming you every other day. Like I ordered, you know, those, those beer making supplies from Williams Brewing. I love Williams Brewing. Great, great. But I get, you know, two emails a week from them, you know, <laughs> and I, I don't really mind that, you know, it's, it's how hard is it to delete? And once in a while they send me something and I go, huh? Yeah. I actually could use a new thermometer or whatever. And they're 15% off or something. So I don't really mind the, so-called junk email when it's subjects and things that I'm, I'm actually interested in. And you're probably that way. If you get an email from me, you're probably not going to freak out, you know, but I only do it once a month. So it's not a whole lot and you might even miss it. And then you miss the discount. And I typically almost every month put some sort of a discount. Sometimes, sometimes it's like, 20% off all my banjo videos or, you know, 15% off the beginning claw hammer instruction thing, whatever. So, you know, if there are things, if you're in this, um, you know, where you've, you've picked up a couple of mandolin lessons or you've been thinking about a book or whatever, 
sometimes getting that email will provide you with a little bit of money off of that. So anyway, I did that 40% discount thing. And there's, I'm trying to remember, I think, I don't know. I can't remember the number of people on that list right now. But it had a very low response. And I, I was, I mean, I had a few. I had a few people use the coupon code and take 40% off. And that was good. Good for them, good for me. Um, but it wasn't very high. And I thought, well, it is springtime. You know, people are probably at the lake and, you know, they just, whatever. And, you know, you're, you're always thinking, well, maybe it's not about the money. Maybe they're not really looking for a discount because the stuff's not high priced anyway. But if you are looking for a discount, almost every month I put something or a whole group of things I've done several times, you know, 25% off everything in my store. So if you were going to, let's say, get the mandolin treasure chest, you know, the 24 videos and 10 eBooks, that whole mega collection of stuff. If you were going to get that and it was normally a hundred bucks, well, with that, it's 75, you know, and with that 40% discount off, it would have only been 60 bucks. So you missed that one, but I do this every month. So all I'm telling you is if you would like to be on that mailing list where I send out the, I usually do like a little, little short article, a little tip, tip of the month kind of thing. I may mention the podcast and then I'll put some sort of discount or something. That's it. If you want to be on the list, all you do is go to bradleylaird.com and up at the top, You'll see those little menus across there, and one of them says Contact. Click on Contact, and there's a form right there, just a little sign-up form. And there is also an archive of all my past newsletters. So every email that I've sent out to this list, you can you can go back and look and see what I've how what I've been doing. And if if you don't mind getting those and you you want the occasional discount thrown your way, just fill it out and put your email address and send it in and you'll be you'll be getting it next time and that's it just haven't mentioned that in a while and appreciate everybody who has supported the show in the various ways and i will be back in the next episode talk to y'all later